if this is a great start or the next episode of east meets west i had to stop there and think of think whether or not i'd said east right yeah think of what this show is and what you call it that's it's the home of rob and i talking about contemporary canadian canadiana from our adopted holy god i need more coffee you have more coffee yeah like right in front of me oh it's just okay this is one of those days where my coffee needs a coffee sure oh and i feel like that would be a great time to cue in with yeah (laughs) we've reached that point where we know where the intro music needs to go (laughs) yeah no that's great so how you doing rob I'm doing pretty well. I was out insanely late last night, and I'm only saved by the time zone difference between us. So I get two extra hours in the morning because I was out until four, got back. And uh, like, honestly, to any mid 20 somethings listening or possibly later, if you haven't learned this yet, don't start a party at 9 p.m. That (laughs) it leads to being out until four. Well, it depends on whether or not you want to go hard, Rob. Well, I know. I didn't even go. I didn't drink a single drop of alcohol. I was having fun the entire time. But yeah, it uh, it was a long, long night. Mm, yeah. I mean, 4 a.m. end sounds like a long night. Yeah. <sighs> and me, I just stayed up till 11 a couple nights in a row. And I've got my hard wake up time now. I've actually been trying to do that because I just find I'm more productive during the day if I have set wake up times. And mm-hmm. uh yeah, just just wrecked. Huh. Do you Bed, bedtime is ten thirty, so right. Yeah, there's the problem. Yeah, for sure. Do you have a hard like? There's there's wake up and there's get up. Just like there's go to bed and go to sleep. Is this is this a hard get up time or is it a hard wake up time? This is a hard get up time. Okay. Okay. Mostly because um, like my alarm starts going off and Kai is still in bed, so I got to great you know shut it off and get out interesting yeah Yeah. mine since i've been writing like starting it between six and seven in the morning i don't really want to get up that early like get out of bed yeah so i'll i'll really just wake up do my writing whatever get look for stories all that stuff and then stay in bed until possibly 1 p.m on a weekday like it's just (laughs) i'll get up to eat whatever but bed is my home for most of the day Oh, it's solid. not great it yeah. sounds very comfortable it's comfortable but it leads to a complete lack of motivation mm. uh, to actually like get up and start my day fair enough i could see that yeah it's okay so i've learned i've had various desk jobs and and that kind of thing where you're sitting up in a less than ideally comfortable chair and comparing that to working at home doing writing while sitting in bed like sitting fully upright with pillows and everything I am so much more productive when I'm just sitting on a bed with a laptop than I ever could be at a desk with a desktop. I don't know if anyone else has ever had that experience, but that's that's my experience in a nutshell. I might be able to see that. Mm-hmm. I'm just so much more comfortable. Mm. Expending less energy on everything else. Really, yeah. really focus in on that uh, that writing. Yeah. Um, that's actually kind of a nice segue because we both had written words about jobs in the news uh in the notes section for the show do you want to start and tell me what's going on or should i start so i'll clarify here and say i remember typing this note that i have job news (laughs) you don't know what it refers to 
Yeah, I have a guess, but I'm not sure what I was doing <laughs> at the time. So, so what's your Rob or Rob News job? Job News Rob? Yeah. Uh, so basically, I wrote in here for for people who can't see the notes, which is everyone listening. I wrote job stuff as something to follow up on because I know we've talked about it before. And then in brackets, I wrote, I need your help. And that's because I have somewhat, it's not really a moral quandary, but it's like a, a life quandary. So in the last week or so, last week and a half now, I was offered or have been offered two different jobs. And in a way, they couldn't be more different. But importantly, they're both really good. Like they're both something I would really like having and doing as a job. And so I don't want to turn either one of them down. And this has led to, over the last few days at least, uh, me talking to everyone I know and seeing what people think I should do. So, Nick, let me pose this to you because now you've been, I mean, we'll get to your your writing recently later, but you've been writing for a while. I have. Uh, Yeah. And you also really like talking about and, and discussing and being involved in science politics and and science policy and so the two jobs that i've been offered are one doing writing and the other one doing kind of science policy work uh research on the government side of science what would you pick first of all that, that seems like a good place to start if you had that option oh god we'll get into we'll That's get into tough. the details because there's yeah it's more complicated than that necessarily but i uh my gut says I would go with the policy job because mm-hmm. then I would still have writing as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I can't yeah. see myself drafting policy as a hobby. Yeah. So <laughs> that's kind of the same final, not final, but so far decision that I've come to is that what I'm going to try to do is see if I can, you know, stick with policy and see if they'll still, because I've been writing with mobile syrup for a little over six months, seven months, eight months-ish since May. But it started off very slow. It started off maybe three or four, two or three a week maybe. Okay. Uh, sort of hour and a half every week. Whereas up, like very recently, it's now pretty much 40 hours a week, somewhere between 30 and 40. And yeah, they basically want me to go full-time, measure job and salary instead of per piece. And I, well, that would be amazing. And if I didn't have this government job, I would take it in an instant. I just, I don't know now. Now I'm completely torn. There's, there's like, there's pension stuff to deal with versus like RSP. There's different benefit packages. There's the stability of government versus the kind of fluctuations of private sector. Like I just, I don't know. There's so much to think about. And there's nothing where you used to lie that, conversation has run dry that's what's going on nothing's right you're torn yeah you're i'm completely torn <laughs> this is how you feel yeah cold so, and something weird i don't know lying naked on the floor we actually listened to that song around 2 a.m yesterday oh and i completely felt it i was absolutely torn and i am would you say that illusion never changed into something real you're wide awake and you can see the perfect sky is torn you're a little late you're already torn 
normally that would bother me because it completely throws off my rhythm, my natural timing of the conversation. But now I just love it. And now I'm thinking that Kaya is probably going to be woken up by that. Actually, she's gone. She's gone to yoga. She oh. she learned from Future okay. Chat last week. She should yes. just GTFO if I'm going to be up and talking. Makes sense. All right. Well, yes, in that case, I am absolutely, I'm all of Natalie and Bruglia's feelings in that song. That's, that's tough because she's got a lot of feelings in that song. Yeah. <laughs> I am each and every one of them. So I think, I think what I'm going to do, and obviously this is as off the record as could possibly be on a live podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're literally broadcasting. Yeah. This, but yeah. Just broadcast live. Here. It's a good thing. We don't have fans. Yeah. I mean, my, um, if we had an active actual following, then, you know, this could get out, but thank God it's just you and me here. There, there's a very close and you, dear th- listener. Please, yes. please keep this to yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, it'll, it's, it's been decided and it'll be talked about, in my inner circle very, very soon. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to see, first of all, because if I went to the writing thing full time, it would probably result in me taking a small to minimally substantial pay cut compared to government, which is not really that big of a deal, but I'm going to see if they can come anywhere close to matching it, matching the government salary which would make the decision that much harder. And, but otherwise I'm probably just going to say, I would love to keep writing. I'd love to even expand my presence, maybe have a column or something. Um, Cause the whole point is mobile syrup has been talking about, well, they've already been doing it actually expanding into kind of automotive stuff, expanding their kind of tech horizons in what they're going to cover. And so I would have the opportunity going full-time to actually kind of help steer that and be a part of those new directions they're trying to go. And so I feel like I still have something to contribute, even if full-time, even if during the day, full-time, I'm I'm working in the government. Hmm. Yeah. There's also, I mean, can we talk about the definition of job permanence and job stability? Because... For millennials? Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Not even for millennials, just for for the current job life like yes older people are going to tend to have more stability because they're in roles that have less changing less day-to-day kind of fluctuations but yeah they could also when they got out of high school they didn't need a degree they walked into a union job and they were set for the next 40 years yeah yeah yeah. well i mean all of that aside all of that oh all that aside yeah we can we can get we'll get to that but i'm looking at so the government job is a six month term, which is on par with the longest term I've had at, at NSERC, like in one contiguous chunk out in advance. Yeah. I've worked at one job for more than six months, but it's always been kind of renewing every few months or up to six months. And so this is six months. And then writing is, you know, when you work in the public sector, there's no, there might be a probation period where you're kind of like, they're making sure you're competent. But there's no term, like there's no con- there's no short term contract implied in a job for a young person. You might be working on like a summer internship or something, but you don't get hired and they're like, oh, you know, we're going to we need you for six months, but then that's it. 
That's not a yeah. thing in private sector, whereas now, especially now in the public sector, that's absolutely what they're doing to young people all over the place. They're saying, oh, we need you for three months or we need you for six months. Um, and then they always have the line there at the end. There's a possibility of extension. And how much that ends up being true is – I. Yeah. I got it like that sentence now. It just infuriates me to no end. Yeah. Because I've been in several positions where it's like, hey, maybe you'll get permanent. It's like, yeah. wow, that'd be so cool. And then it's like, yeah, no, we just don't have the funding right now. Or, yeah. <laughs> and that was even like a private sector or two. Right. Where it's like, yeah, well, we could, but we can't. Sorry. Yeah. And yeah, so that leads to people being in positions like you and I are where we're trying to float between things, trying to find something permanent. But then even when you do, like that's the, th- that's the kind of illusion that this permanent job dream has is that when you get a permanent job, a permanent job in, in air quotes, it's not necessarily, it's, it's like I, I always say to Julia when she tells me that her dream for me is to get a permanent job. I say a permanent job is like 5 to 10% more permanent than a long-term term contract because permanent jobs can end. Like you can get laid off. All of these things are possible. It doesn't guarantee you anything in terms of job longevity, having a permanent job. It just makes it slightly more likely that you're going to stick around a bit longer. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's... Yeah. So that's there's, just a lot of thoughts all of a sudden. Yeah. There's, there's severance and all of that. Like, yes, you have, you would, you would get a little bit of money if you were laid off, but in terms of the end of a contract versus the end of, uh, you know, a, a longer term career because of layoffs, there's not a whole lot of difference clerically or financially. Well, I mean, that said, it also stinks to have to job hunt every six months. Yeah. 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 Cause I mean, you're basically halfway into your contract and you're already looking for something else. Yeah. Well, you you have to kind of go in with the mindset of what's the thing going to be after this? Because when when you're, when you're a bright eyed and bushy tailed 18 year old entering the job force or when say finishing university at 21 or 22 or 23 or 24, whatever, or say you went back to school when you were 27 to learn a skilled trade, basically. Exactly. And (laughs) your, your outlook doesn't, become wow six months is forever your outlook is six months is going to be here tomorrow and i'm going to be out of a job again yeah like actually on that note it's funny because i'll meet people at hbc and just talk to them for a few minutes and they'll be like so what do you do other than this like are you in school or what what are you what are you shooting for Mm -hmm. they just i guess look at me and go he's not destined for retail (laughs) you don't belong here forever (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're using big words like marmalade <laughs> oh man yeah it's uh it it does come off as very obvious and i i don't know i don't think i i obviously don't think that public servants are any more deserving of you know that the stability that comes with the government job but it does take a certain kind of person to to do that long-term career where you're at a desk job where you're doing the same or very similar jobs every day. And I don't know. It's a very odd situation to find myself in. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I, when I was younger, I just absolutely idolized the idea of working public service. Okay. Just because I would love to be, you know, contributing to the public good. 
which is part of the reason that I'm in NDT because I want to be able to contribute to public good because I mean, if you're helping to make sure that a building doesn't fall down unexpectedly, contributing to public good, not yeah. from a public sector approach, but um, you're still, you know, you're still contributing to that, uh, that whole rigor, rigmarole. Yeah. The, uh, so the, the interview that I went to that we might've talked about, or maybe it was just about to happen or something. The, the last interview I went to at NSERC, which is where this term contract is is just needing to be signed it and the reason that i don't feel uncomfortable talking about that is because like i said i have two jobs i'm like yeah even if one doesn't for some whatever reason doesn't work out there's another one um i went into the interview this the position that i interviewed for was policy analyst and so this isn't directly related to that interview but it's tangentially related and the the person hiring me is was in that interview oh that was the one where you you said oh my god east meets west has so thoroughly prepared me for this yeah 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 where i literally like i sat down and without any trace of exaggeration literally just was able to gush about science in canada and how much i had a passion for it and i was like i talked to the guy actually on the same day that i was offered the job i talked to the 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 manager of that position about the interview because i had passed it and he basically said i had done i like i passed it with not flying colors but i passed every section and one of them was like knowledge of the the work and i was like i like six months ago a year ago i would not have passed that but i've been so involved and i've been wanting to get more involved and it's it's shown in that now i'm so much more informed about the world like i was i was talking about the climate change conference in paris and i was talking about uh, like all the the conservative to liberal shift um, in the past six months and then the previous 10 years of conservatives and how they were screwing over scientists. I think it, I think it resonated with the people there because they've been there for longer than I have and they actually saw this change take place. Oh yeah. The people that have been there for decades scales, they get, they get really cheesed when things are going badly. Yeah. So it, I mean, the interview process to me worked out well and i'm interested to see where it goes and unless something drastic changes and then obviously i'll have to reconsider my entire life but <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what's the term like with mobile syrup well that's the thing there's no like i would be technically i'd be under contract but it's just like ah. you just write you just work and like i'd probably interview people and i might go to press events and well, in that case, my answer changes. Like, as you, if if you have some semblance of permanence, I would. God, that's tempting. But it, it's not permanence, though. It's just yeah, no, it's for nowism. It's permanence in quotation marks. Yeah, but yeah, well, but so on the other hand, in when I spoke to um, my presumptive, is that what you would use, presumptive manager? my potential potential soon to be future Probable. manager yeah at NSERC, she was saying not only did she say there was a the possibility of extension which is the most frustrating and and necessarily technically accurate language they have to use oh yeah is that she was talking about wanting to actually hire someone permanently for this position but wanting to get it done quickly wanting to like mm-hmm. have someone start right away and not having to want not wanting to go through the whole interview process and so 
it lends slightly more credence to the fact that I'm, there might be continuation. Like they want to have someone doing this job forever. And so it makes me want to be that person. I, oh my God, go for it. Yeah. And then get a little higher up and bring me with you somehow. Done. Yep. Cool. I, <laughs> I might have to describe you as a, as an underling when I say I want to bring you in. I need, I need Nick as my underling or possibly wingman. You think that would work if I said, I need a wingman here. <laughs> Where's my number crunch? Yeah, absolutely. I can't see any reason why that wouldn't work out. <laughs> Definitely. I'll, uh, I, I, I bought a suit yesterday so I can wear that too. And just, yeah. Start now, playing. Have you met Rob, but in the <laughs> office somehow, <laughs> that would actually be a pretty good networking tool. Like obviously we're both in long-term relationships. I'm in a long-term relationship, right? That's how you describe a marriage. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's implied that it's long-term. Yeah. So the, the have you met Rob game would work really well for networking. If you were just two people that work in an organization, wandering around, introducing each other to people. Clearly. Yeah. Um, Clearly. So you mentioned uh, off this podcast that you bought a suit. And then you mentioned that you got it, like it required pretty significant it sounds like tailoring well is it that, didn't it didn't like you want it perfect it, but sorry you want it you want it now that you have it to be perfectly tailored to you not just well, you know arms almost right legs almost right well i'll start off by saying that it's it's a ralph lauren so the pants come unhemmed so you yeah you yeah, gotta yeah. get them hemmed that's the hems, just yeah. not an option sure um but i don't know i'm actually selling suits hmm and so it's jaded me a little bit when I look at suits now because I just I see everything that doesn't fit properly when other people put them on. Right. And so, uh, yeah, so like I've tried them on before and off the rack, it appears that just nothing is going to fit my shoulders. So unless I'm getting a made to measure, which I would like to do at some point and yeah. shout out to I think canadian startup indochino or yeah indochino. you wanted to talk about that yeah um i was looking at them thinking you know i might have to get a suit at some well i want to have a suit in my wardrobe for potential interviews because nothing suits you like a suit yeah but but i mean and they're not bad deals like 500 bucks or so yeah. for a suit and then you can get they're one they're made to measure two you can get extra pants and a vest and stuff like that which you can't necessarily get off the rack it would probably also fit my shoulders which is also not guaranteed with off the rack <laughs> yeah um that said like ralph lauren will fit me the best just because it's i don't know it's it's more generous in the fit and since working at bike camp buying pants is just a nightmare <laughs> I have a feeling I know how you feel. So like the thighs and the glutes, it's yeah. just that doesn't fit just anywhere. So basically for the pants alone, I was going to go for a Ralph Lauren. But then I'm swimming just a little bit in a Ralph Lauren. Okay. So you want to get this you want to get the side seams in because it cuts a nicer profile, especially in the back of you. Like it just it gives that nice T shape when people are looking at you instead of I mean, the joke I go to is that in women's fashion, the goal is to show everything, right? every last little detail of the woman's body. Mm -hmm. 
and a lot of men's fashion is to hide everything. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's like that guy has a beer gut. Do not allow it to be seen. Mm-hmm. That guy has love handles. It will vanish under this jacket. Like that's broadly how it seems to work anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah. But and Ralph Lauren is very much like that. So it gives a lot of space in case you are, you know, you got a little extra padding on you. Yeah. In case you're not the perfect human specimen, which obviously you don't need. You don't need that room. (laughs) (laughs) We'll say that I don't need it quite as much as it offers. Okay. Um, And so side seams in, uh, sleeves out just a touch because I got these big alien arms. Mm -hmm. If you've ever seen or if you watch Trailer Park Boys, you'll get that reference. I don't, uh, but I'm sure somebody does. Oh, I, uh, at one point I had a customer who had very long arms. Right. And I, but I prefaced it. She, you watch a lot of trailer park boys. (laughs) And she said, yeah. And so I delivered the line in the, in the voice of the character and he laughed and he laughed and he laughed. It was good. (laughs) The other thing is like, if I'm selling suits, I gotta be wearing one that fits pretty well Mm -hmm. because otherwise what credence do I have? Although in theory, if you bought a suit that had each and every obvious flaw that people like get, you could point it out to people. You can be like, notice how this isn't perfectly lined up with my shoulder. (laughs) Yeah. Don't do what this does. Yeah. See this? It's horrible. I look like a jerk. (laughs) Don't make the mistakes I did. Yeah. The concept of having like a, I guess you call it made to measure. I guess that's the term Mm -hmm. suit is very intriguing but I feel like my size changes too much to actually ever <laughs> make it worth it. Well, there are ways around that. How so? Other than tailoring it. Well, you, I mean, you can just ask the tailor to give you a few extra inches here or there. Okay. If you have a vest, they actually have a little thing in the back that you can let in or, t- or take in or let out. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. that's uh, actually, they did offer to do the waist of the suit for me and i looked at it and i went uh, that's something i should probably keep the room for <laughs> way to have faith in yourself to have self-control no it's just my observations over the past decade of my life i suppose yeah it it is interesting i'm looking at these suits now and i encourage people to go to indochino.com to check this out we're not getting paid or anything, but although models, we do need sponsors, Indochino, um, all of the models are extremely trim and very multicultural. Um, but it it would be interesting to see how a larger suit would look because all of these people have like twenty eight inch waists. Well, I mean, yeah, but if you've got if you're a more robust gentleman, I mean, you make some choices like. Double-breasted suit, two sure. buttons. Uh, mm-hmm. Wait, yeah, I think it's always two buttons and double-breasted. Details. Yeah, double-breasted, two buttons, maybe some wider lapels just to, you know, make everything a little more proportional. Okay. I'd say maybe peak lapels to really draw the eye up and not down, but I just really don't like the look of peak lapels. <laughs> I don't have no idea what that means. Yeah, I just... Peak lapels, you're on notice. From east meets west. Although when you Google the word peak, 
lapel shows up right after it. Yeah. Because why else would you use the word peak? I don't know. I mean, they do look a little weird, like kind of old fashioned. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, some people love them. Oh, I think I know what my job news was. I'm now, okay. I'm now certified as a, as an exposure device operator. I'm not a certified exposure device operator because I can't operate it alone. Mm-hmm. But I'm just 320 hours of on-the-job training away from being a certified exposure device operator and having so many more job opportunities. And so is it like how hard is it now to find a company or organization that would be able to offer that on-the-job training type of thing? Uh, Hypothetically, it's much easier than it would be otherwise. Okay. Like you're still asking for training, but... Instead of saying, you know, hey, I just need a little time to pass this exam. And employers will often pay for the exams for you. So you'd be like, yeah, I just need for you to pay for this exam for me. And then I might pass it. And then I need 320 hours. And then I can be a productive member of your team. Right. It goes from that to saying, hey, I just need 320 hours. And I assume that they're all aware of this. And so they're willing to do that to make someone be able to join the workforce. Well, I mean, you'd think so, but at the same time, a lot of those job ads are like, yeah, we need you to have, or we need you as a multi-ticketed individual who has already had, you know, decades or not decades, but it takes a couple of years to build up those kind of certifications. Right. And they've recently changed the rules so that you are not allowed to challenge an exam until you've had a certain amount of on the job training hours. Huh? Like, Edo designation is the only thing you can get without on the job training hours. Okay. Do you and so like they the companies involved will either have to invest more in training just as a matter of course because otherwise they will never have new employees or they can just fight over the people who have been in the industry for at least 5 years now and then carry themselves into the dust as those people retire. Right. So does the, like you passed a test, does that mean you've passed the test and you literally only need the time or is there other certification you need? There is one more test I need to do as a certified exposure device operator. That said, um, that can be like, that doesn't have to be administrated or invigilated by an external body that can be done at the workplace under the supervision of my boss. Okay. Yeah. And that's just the, the majority of it is just, Hey, so you've arrived at the workplace. What do you do now? And just (laughs) making sure that you've checked everything properly and you've set up things properly. Just when in doubt, use that survey meter once more. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I, I have an interesting story that this brings to mind. I interviewed at the Canadian nuclear safety commission back in December Ooh. And I went in. So when you go into a job interview, first of all, you apply for a job that someone contacts you and says, hey, we saw your resume. We saw your application. We'd like to have you in for an interview right away. If the job is something that you don't necessarily think you're qualified for or might not be qualified for, I go into it thinking, oh, they must have seen something in my resume that they liked. Yeah. You must have seen some reason why they might consider me. 
And so I always go in thinking that they may be giving me the benefit of the doubt when I go in. And I went into uh, this, so it was chemistry technician or chemical technician or something at the safety commission. And right away, they start me off with a written exam right before the interview. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sorry, it's not really a written exam. It's a, they give me a list of questions that are going to be asked in the interview, but they let me prepare for 15 minutes or half hour, whatever it is. And so I'm basically trying to come up with the answers to this before they come in and ask me the questions. And right away there, one of the questions is a list of definitions to do with testing, but it, specifically the kind of nuclear testing that they would do like radiation testing. Yeah. And I see a term on the list that I have never heard before. It's composed of words I know, but <laughs> how, how do I answer that question without having without having ever worked in a job like that before like i if you look on my resume you know that i have never done any radiation safety testing and so basically they had to walk me through that portion of the thing i was just like for that particular definition i was just like i don't know i've never heard this term before and like that has to be a valid answer to that question because i could probably explain what the term meant if you like if you helped me a little bit but yeah for that i don't know it was it was uh i think it was called a matrix spike Mm. and i'm just i looked it up afterwards and i was like this seems like an overly complicated word for like a sample thing like it was just it was just a sample like a different kind of sample or a different term for a sample oh do you have to like add a little bit of acid or something like that to the thing i don't think it had anything anything to do with the sample being spiked oh it was super weird. Oh, but weird. They haven't contacted me yet, so I may not have gotten it. That was like a month ago, and they said they wanted to decide by mid-January. Also, it's a government job, so hey. Like, yeah, it could be months more. Maybe now. it just took forever. and Or maybe they just the didn't running. need anyone. <laughs> maybe at the end of your policy thing at NSERC, they'll be like, oh, hey, we want you. And you'll be like, now what do I do? <laughs> there are so many jobs being offered to me. <laughs> now, now I would stick with NSERC if it was six months later. All right. Mm-hmm. All right, Rob. I got to if we had commercials, I would need to take a commercial break cuz I'm out okay. of water and I'm very parched. So I'm going to have to just walk away for a bit. Yeah. This will gonna... be this will be fine for like the podcast. You can just edit that, but live, I don't know. I don't know what you want to do. I'm going to do you something. have my apologies. That's all right. Go for it. I'll, I'll be right back. Mhm. So um Nick has put me in a very difficult position here. I'm just running this live show now. Um, we're going to talk a bit later about Mythbusters. It's a show that I really like. Uh, it's doing its last season now and I don't know how I feel about it. So I'm going to commiserate a little bit with Nick and, uh, I've been watching, I watched the first few episodes. They were very interesting. I really like the way they approach science and how they make it approachable. They make it fun. Uh, they, they kind of went all out cause they knew it was last season and so they did a bunch of what I would consider mega episodes, like they were big budget, big scale. It's just, it's a really sad time. And I was watching the first episode and they mentioned in, it was kind of like a behind the scenes thing where they talked about the upcoming season and they were talking about how they're going to bring back Carrie, Tori and uh, Grant. And I really miss them the last few years. So I'm really looking forward to that. They're going to kind of like do like they're not doing any myths together, but they're going to kind of talk about the show and the impact it had. And 
I'm really looking forward to it because I miss those guys and I'm really going to miss the show. But I've enjoyed the episodes that we're on so far. And uh, yeah, we're also going to talk about Nick's recent blog post. So you should go read that if you haven't yet. Like You have a little time because Nick is taking forever to get water. Uh, he's going to talk about voting systems. And we have some weird news Nick wants to talk about. He's just, he, he I don't know, it's, it's all, it seems like Toronto news or like that Southern Ontario kind of news. Just a little weird, uh, including the fact that the Leafs are going to introduce a new logo. Nick really wants to talk about that. Oh, Nick's back. All right. Hey, Rob. Hey, Nick. I uh, I was giving the listeners. I'm probably going to leave this in. To be honest, I was giving the listeners uh, a preview of what's to come. Oh, fabulous! Yeah. So, to notes and talking points. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What did you uh, What did you want to talk about next? We can go in order if you want. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You said Perfect. it's uh, MythBusters last season. And you're gonna yeah. miss that show. I, I'll be honest. Like, I'm gonna miss the fact that it's not there. But I haven't actually been watching for a very long time. Yeah, I missed. Basically, I think the second half of the most recent season. But other than that, I've been dedicated. It's basically once I lived without cable, I just didn't watch MythBusters anymore. Right. Uh, see, I never watched it on cable. I always uh, <coughs> downloaded it. Uh, but now I have cable, so now it's literally just more convenient for me to put it on my computer and watch it whenever I want than have to DVR it and watch it on my TV. Um, apparently, this is something that's exciting. We're switching from Rogers to Bell on a separate tangent mm-hmm. in about a week and a half. Maybe a, oh, about a week, actually, next Tuesday. Uh, and they have, like, Bell's PVR thing is called Whole Home PVR. I don't know exactly how it works yet, but I'm told that from anywhere in the house on any device, you can go and watch the contents of your DVR. That's interesting. And so in theory, that would make it much easier. I could just set a show to record like the show Mythbusters. And then every time a new episode came out, it would just go into the DVR and then I would just be able to watch it anywhere. Hmm. So I'm intrigued by that. But until then, I'm going to watch it in a way that's most convenient to me. And that means... Because of geoblocking that Discovery does, I will have to probably find it on the internet elsewhere. Fabulous. Yeah. I noticed that the there's no TVAA, like there is an MPAA and RIAA. So TV shows, they don't really care if you watch them. They, you're just you're not really punished in any way. But so Great Mythbusters, news. anyways. Um, they've really been formative in my kind of science education. It's been, I think this is season 14. And the fact that they've done, they do like 24 episodes every year. I remember in, I guess this was 14 years ago. That was like grade nine thereabouts. I remember watching like when they did the really early ones, like helium football, when they filled footballs with helium and with regular air and, seeing if they got kicked further and they ended up first they had uh like an actual punter kick the balls decided scientifically that there wasn't enough control there and so they switched to an airplane hangar where there wasn't going to be a lot of wind and they had a like i forget if it was a throwing or a kicking machine but they had a thing that would like a a machine that would just give it the same amount of juice every time and that Mm. made it a lot tighter and they were able to actually see that it had no effect like I love the way that they've gotten better and better at incorporating actual science into the show to the point that 
they and they they kind of it's fun because they kind of suspend disbelief when they're doing when they're trying to recreate viral videos they suspend disbelief and go along with the fact that this video is real until they prove that it's not and i really like it I like i like the way they make science approachable and they make it interesting and fun i i'm gonna mention one episode because it it it's kind of like it's very mythbusters but it just shows with the fact that they have this big budget for the last season how how they're able to do something that i don't think anybody else could ever or would ever do except for the fact that it's a myth and it may have happened at some point in history um so they took uh like a train tanker car like a 70 foot long tanker that could have been filled with gasoline or oil or milk or whatever uh half inch thick steel all around completely sealed they filled it with steam so they superheated the inside of it got all the air out to 200 and something degrees fahrenheit and then they sealed it and then they cooled it so they condensed all the steam and they were trying to get it to buckle and implode yeah and they so they did it and this like they found out that steam you know steam uh tankers are extremely strong and steam is not going to be enough to buckle it so they went and found a corroded one and wanted to see if maybe if, if it had been weakened or if it was older maybe it would work they did the exact same thing again this time the first time they did it with steam just to prove that they could they actually pulled a 27 inches of uh, again they use imperial units so but it was apparently apparently around 30 inches of mercury is a perfect vacuum basically like a, just over 30 negative 30 inches of mercury okay it's it's a valid measurement but we we're used to millimeters i was gonna say like millimeters mercury would yeah. that be our our tour i guess yeah is the, yeah yeah so they for for reference around just under minus 30 uh inches mercury is a perfect vacuum they got to minus 27 inches mercury so it was it was well on the way to be, being a perfect vacuum and it was completely fine. And so they decided that instead of doing that every time, because it took hours for the, you know, the seam to cool down and for it to actually get to that pressure, they decided to use it with a huge vacuum truck just to speed up the process to mm-hmm. draw that same vacuum. And uh, so they did it with the old decrepit one. And the same thing, they were able to draw a 27 uh, inch vacuum and it was, didn't, it didn't buckle. It was fine. And so then they decided to do the most scientific thing possible, which it, well, for, for something of that scale, they decided to drop a 3,200 pound cinder block on the tanker from about 30 feet up just to make a dent, like to, to damage it a little bit. And then they drew this, drew a vacuum again, like they loosened it up. So they, they, they released the vacuum and did that. And then they put the vacuum back on and this 70 foot half inch thick steel oil tanker just completely flattened in like <laughs> a fraction of a second it just slurped down to vertically flat and it was <laughs> so cool like the science that is required to get that to happen like it's so cool it's such a strong thing like it it would not it basically hold an almost perfect vacuum and then they were able to just have it slurp up to to be like pancake thin is crazy hmm. but so that that's the kind of thing that they're trying to do they're trying to go out as big as they possibly can in every in every category of myth they've ever tackled and i i really like the show yeah 
it's worth like i know worth i know it's had its uh critics critics yeah. being actual scientists who mm-hmm. i imagine it's the same people that really don't like bill nye or neil degrasse tyson right or uh cosmos guy neil degrasse tyson oh carl sagan carl sagan yeah <laughs> yeah because i don't know i i assume they just hate fun or something yeah. like that yeah. but the mythbusters have done more to popularize the idea of testing hypotheses mm-hmm. than like any other public science figure in right. the last couple decades, I would mm-hmm. argue. Yeah. So uh, you, you bring up a very interesting point because Which a lot I, of, I think it's identical to XKCD's point to just as a disclaimer. It, yeah, yeah, of course it's not necessary. I'm not saying it's hundred percent original, but it's a good point regardless. Um, they, they may not do perfect science, quote unquote, but there might not be any such thing as perfect science. And they're not scientists by trade. They're trying to use the the scientific method to test things to see if they're true. And that is the essence of what science should be. And these most of these scientists, they're saying, hey, we have a problem with this such and such and such a methodology, which is an aspect of science also, like questioning hypotheses questioning the theories questioning the results of experiments but very very few of those people actually go out and do their the experiment as well to say Mm. look we we did this thing in a way that you didn't control for and got a different result than you that would also be valid science but it doesn't it wouldn't render what the mythbusters do invalid oh man um on that note yeah i think it's I think it was a Planet Money episode that I really want to talk about on Future Chat. It's called mm-hmm. The Experiment Experiment. Okay. And it retraces a uh, a psychologist's or an experimental psychologist's efforts to reproduce some of the experiments. In yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very good. Because a lot of them can't be. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, they've offered solutions for stuff like that. And it's mm-hmm. – I'm really curious – to or i'd be really interested to talk about it with you and mike you know what i need to do i need to start listening to that just so that we can talk about it yeah absolutely it's like 20 minutes a couple times a week so Mm. well worth it i'm gonna i'm gonna do that right now but anyways on the on the mythbusters thing just to wrap it up uh they're also bringing back i mentioned our listeners if i leave that part of the show in our listeners got a sneak peek they also bring back carrie grant and tori for one episode <gasps> to just just to reminisce about the whole run of the show and I'm, I'm so excited to see that uh just because i i really miss those guys too i know that they're all off doing really cool sciencey things i think grant has his own show about killer robots now like where robots battle each other now but i don't really know but i'm very intrigued to see you know the, the future of those guys and what what happens next so or yeah. what's been happening for them so yeah i'm really excited because mm-hmm. it is ongoing this this season we're in the middle okay, of it now yeah. i am also curious to hear what they're up to yeah so if we continue in order here now it's time to talk about your latest blog post because you wrote more about voting systems did you want to talk more about it because I, I didn't actually put this in there i know I, uh, I wanted to talk about it because i wanted to see kind of how you felt now that you're done writing it uh whether it's like what has changed since the last time you talked or thought about voting systems which presumably was right before the election in canada and then yeah. 
you know, you you come to a pretty like if you if you follow CGP Grey's election series like you recommend doing, you come to the a similar conclusion that he does in that there's a very obvious system that's right for voting. And at, if you follow Hello Internet, the, the podcast at all, you know that they also did a flag referendum. And so with the method that I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like if I miss maybe I'm misremembering, but I feel like he was saying there was still a slight flaw in that and he would like to do something different or for that flag situation that was the perfect like that was his ideal voting system i can't remember anymore but i you you made a point and this is kind of the thing that i wanted to talk about i guess you made a point that uh from your interpretation of the voting system and, and the current iterations of it uh the the one where you i forget what it's called now uh, alternative vote is that That's what it's called the, the one rank, where you rank it's alternative vote instant runoff or ranked ballots right you can call it and any of those things all yeah all of those meaning the same system yeah you were saying that it seems like the people who voted like certain people's votes seem less important oh no that's single transferable vote okay it's I, I, i'm gonna fully just put on the table that I don't fully understand single transferable vote mm-hmm. and I need to do a lot more reading on it if I'm going to truly understand what they're talking about. Right. But so the idea being that, you know, you have X number of ridings and they're a little larger than usual because they're going to incorporate two or three representatives rather than just one. Right. And they go over, you know, how you would choose from all the representatives within that riding. Mm -hmm. so you've got yeah like he has five animals and or five or six animals and three are going to be selected and he goes through like an algorithmic example of how you would choose who the representatives are yeah and i think that makes a lot of sense i like that method a lot because it it does something to bring the popular vote in line with the actual number of seats in the house of commons or at least it tries to make that it tries to close the gap from what it is currently Mm -hmm. but he also illustrates how it works in a two-party system and so you know they're saying you got uh black gorilla and silverback gorilla and uh you know siberian tiger and regular tiger Mm -hmm. and say that one of them gets 90 percent of the vote share yep and the other or say like the one gorilla gets 90% of the vote share the other gets 10% and then the two tigers get like 25 26 whatever yeah. or yeah. that's not adding up but you know what i mean <laughs> i um, do know what you mean yes so if you were to just use the regular algorithm that would choose one tiger and two or no one one gorilla, two tigers. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't reflect the popular vote at all. Right. So what in CGP Gray's explanation, which may not be perfect, and it's slightly irresponsible of me to just, you know, go off this one thing. Mm-hmm. But he says the excess gets transferred like once once the silverback has secured his seat, mm-hmm. the excess votes get transferred to their second choice, which is overwhelmingly the other gorilla. Yeah, which means that the representatives chosen would be the two gorillas and one of the tigers, which more closely represents the vote count. Yeah. Now that said, 
like that and that that's good because you know you shouldn't be penalized for backing a popular candidate ideally mm-hmm. speaking especially when you're voting in multiple people but what i don't understand is how you track those second votes yeah unless you just it would essentially be running the election in reverse you would say okay we definitely got that first place candidate in now what are all the second yeah yeah the second choices for that first candidate and that might make sense but i don't know how you make sure that that all adds up correctly yeah and because because the way it was described it seems as though you're saying that the first people to vote or the first 50 percent, or whatever the first 33 percent of the voters who actually got them in are they just off the table now right yeah because i agree because that almost seems like temporal discrimination in a in an election based on when they were counted yeah i agree yeah which seems just crazy like i mean you could randomize it and then it's quote-unquote fair yeah but it's not representative no no and so like i actually one of my friends was asking because i'm like maybe she had heard about single transferable vote and she Mm -hmm. was asking me like should i be voting in the advanced polls or on election day like does it matter when i vote to how they're counted because there could be a discrepancy there depending on how you deal with that single transferable vote. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like Canada is not a two party system and that's one thing I like about Canadian democracy yet, but there are two heavyweight parties where if you had like, honestly in parts of Calgary or rural Alberta, especially if you had a three riding uh, or a three member riding, all three of them could go one way and i mean i guess you're you're still tallying just like each um each party could have three representatives running in that riding yeah and that would make sense so long as you're directly electing like i mean i would be okay with it so long as you are saying i like jim bob uh cletus and then tony yeah and so long as like the parties don't determine whether or who goes first of Jim Bob Cletus or Tony from the riding, like I still want to be able to vote for individuals rather than parties. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So I I don't understand how that works. Yeah, and I need to look into it more. I mean, I, I kind of uh, and maybe I just didn't analyze it thoroughly enough in my mind. But when I was watching the the Hello Internet flag referendum video when I was watching them go through the process, it did strike me that, you know, they they went through and they sorted all of the first votes into the respective boxes, which makes complete sense. But then once they once they picked, once they had the runoff, I understand the I I actually maybe I don't understand, but the you you then go into having, you know, there were five candidates at first. You drop the lowest candidate and you pick their second choices get distributed among the rest. Mm-hmm. So I guess the way it works is your vote, your single vote only contributes to it can only contribute to one candidate. Your vote isn't going to get more than one person elected. And so right. the, with the runoff thing, but with single transferable vote, it did seem like. Maybe your vote 
could theoretically help get more than one candidate elected at the same time. If your first choice, if your first choice was the main candidate that got like the majority of the votes, and then your second choice was the minor candidate, but with the same party, it seems like your vote helps the the main the big candidate, but also helps the candidate in the other party. Whereas, in theory, someone else's vote could have been for the main candidate on one party, but their second choice could have been a sep- a smaller candidate in another party, mm-hmm. and you would just never see that. But there, like you were saying, but there's no way to really control that unless you I, I i mean in theory you could just run all of this through an algorithm that would tell you it would be able to break down if the person if a person's first choice is gorilla let's say the main gorilla black gorilla and their second choice or or sorry then their if their first choice is black gorilla then their second choice is most likely to be silverback gorilla and you could break mm-hmm. down the percentages like that like you could do kind of a what do you call it a binary tree or a decision tree type of thing to see you proportionally could also just, yeah like you could also just tally all the preferences yeah exactly and then i assume computers would just you know tell you pound that out in a few minutes maybe mm-hmm. yeah but it it does seem it seems like that wouldn't be the way the system would be implemented at first it might be like a flaw that's pointed out a few iterations into this system and maybe that's just kind of a shortcoming of that method because I don't think there's any necessarily perfect voting mechanism. Mm. But it, yeah, it definitely strikes me as odd that that, that seems like it's a feature of the system. Yeah, it's just like because uh, I don't like the idea of excess vote transfer mm-hmm. because who were the excess unless you're counting every single thing yeah. possible. Yeah. But so, again, yeah. in in CGP Grey's video, the whole point of him dividing it into, you know, there's there's a class of monkeys and you're more likely, I, which I thought was kind of clever because there's there were kind of, there was the tiger faction, quote unquote, and the, mm-hmm. the monkey faction, but there were different varieties of tiger and monkey in each one. Yeah. And so in theory, if you're an ideal voting system, if if your first choice, you know, the popular choice, quote unquote, is the, the Bengal tiger, and you you would probably also want the si- Siberian tiger to get elected as well. Mm-hmm. But that's that's an ideal system. Whereas in some cases, if you're talking about, say, Republicans, Democrats as a more ideal, you could like a candidate. You could most like a, the popular candidate on the Democrats, but your second choice could be a lesser known Republican candidate that happens to be maybe be more moderate. You're, you're not necessarily – Gray was assuming that if your first choice is a tiger, your second choice is going to be a different tiger. But not all voters are going to act like that. Like what if your cousin's running and he happens to be in the other party? So you want to support him as well, but you want to give your main vote to some other person in the other party. Like yeah. th- there are a lot of different ways if the voting isn't ideal, which it never really is, that that could screw things up. Mm. So I'm, I'm now on Wikipedia, which yeah. is where I should have gone in the first place. This is, yeah. <laughs> and I'm in, I'm in the article called Counting Single Transferable Votes, which has 
a subsection called surplus allocation. Okay. Which then has, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, six different methods of figuring out who the surplus is. <laughs> of course it does. Yeah. So I have more reading to do on the subject of single transferable vote, it right. seems. So, yeah, what it sounds like is there's controversy in it within the system as well. So, yeah, and I, it's kind of complicated and it, it, it minimizes the wasted votes, which is nice. But at the same time, like, good Lord. Yeah, okay. I think I think ranked ballots essentially are ranked yeah. ballots are probably the easiest to implement. Yeah. I mean, the, even the concept itself of having single transferable vote where you have kind of bundles of candidates together from the same party makes it a lot more complicated for people like people who are in the like electors or what do you call them? I guess voters is the easiest word. It makes well, it a lot more complicated. I mean, yeah, there's there's a distinction between Canada and the United States in that fashion in that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Our in Canada, our voters are also electors. Mm hmm. Where they the have the states, electoral college. Yeah. Yeah. In the States, the electors are the members of the electoral college and the voters are more to inform the electoral college yeah. who to vote for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is strange enough as it is. That's so messed it's, up. Well, I think it's, I think it was CGP Gray that said, shout out to CGP Gray. Mm -hmm. um, it was CGP Gray that said that in all the democracies that the United States has ever installed, they have never installed an electoral college in another country because right. even they recognize how terrible it is. Yeah. Well, they recognize how terrible it is. And so when they're in Actually, power, sorry. I might be thinking of Adam ruins everything because um, he talks about the yeah, electoral he does college talk about recently that. and he does um, a great job. He does. Okay. So this is the, this is the issue with politics. And if Justin Trudeau is able to pull off this change, it will be pretty unprecedented in terms of, you know, Western politics, democratic politics. I guess it's not really Western, but. Apparently they had a similar thing in Alberta for a while. What do you mean? Uh, apparently they had a either a ranked ballot or a single transferable votes. I mean, so far as oh. I've heard from okay. some guy once, I think. <laughs> that yeah, seems, this is like totally reliable. I, yeah. I don't know why I wouldn't talk about this. Yeah. But I think like. The idea was it was a plot by the right to destroy the left-wing parties. Okay. And they eventually got rid of it mm -hmm. because I guess there weren't enough like liberal liberals or CCF people around. So everyone's second choice was PC. Okay. And so the PCs just dominated anyway. Right. Shocker for 20th century <laughs> Alberta. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the problem that I have, the biggest problem that I have with elections is that the ruling party is never going to be impartial or unbiased in their, like, they're going to think, oh, you know, I won. So obviously the system doesn't need to be changed because it worked just fine and picked the best candidate. And the, the, the competing party, the one that's not in power is going to go, of course, we need electoral change because obviously it picked the wrong candidate because we're not in power. And yeah. It takes it takes a humble leader to say we need to change the system. It's broken. Yes, I got in, but 
look at how unrepresentative this democracy is right now. I actually kind of like that because, you know, the the person who's just won a majority government has said, yeah, this benefited me tremendously and it's wrong. So it It needs to be changed. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people are saying that this needs to go to a referendum and there is an argument for that. And they've also cited Ontario and British Columbia just totally smacking down mixed member proportional as an option. Mm hmm. And I honestly don't know what to think of it because there is going to be resistance to change, even if that change is probably for the better. Yep. Yep. And I mean, the reason I don't like mixed member proportional, and I talk about this in my blog, is that uh, I don't like list members. I don't like that political parties are able to submit a list of people saying that, you know, once we get our list members in, I want them in this order. Yeah. And it's like. You're just installing backbenchers. You're mm-hmm. installing people that are loyal to their party and their party alone. Yeah. They yeah, yeah. Don't have any constituents to worry about. Or it's not necessarily that they are, but they're, that's going to be the trend. And there's nothing stopping that from being the case. You might end up having someone in there who isn't, but they're much less likely to be picked by the party because obviously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, Joan Crockett, for example, she was the former member of parliament for Calgary Center. Mm-hmm. And from what I've heard, like she, all she ever did was just vote along party lines. Yeah. And granted, that was, that was her approach to things. She said, I was elected by conservative voters to be a conservative representative in the House of Commons. Yeah. And so I will do as the conservative party does. And that's fine. But like, she, but ultimately, she was beholden to voters, and voters in Calgary Center said, "We don't want that kind of representation." Yep. And so, like, we were able to turf her when we <laughs> didn't like what she was doing. But I can imagine that Joan Crockett would be really high up on the list of list members because the party's yeah. going to look at their members and say, "Oh, this is someone who does what we want them to do, so this mm-hmm. will be on our list." It's true. Realistically, I think I just don't like the idea of political parties. But honestly, how else or how is that ever going to change? Yeah, it's true. Even if you disband political parties, new ones would just form instantly. Well, you, I, I imagine you just have sort of informal alliances along the yeah. old party lines. Mm-hmm. It's it's unfortunate, and I say this all the time, but the people who would make the best political leaders want nothing to do with leadership and politics. I think there's actually a quote by Plato about that. Mm-hmm. He always gets to my stuff first. I know, right? It's unfair, really. I'm actually remembering Trudeau Sr. quoting him. Yeah. And they said, like, some press conference had just asked him, like, you know, how badly does does so-and-so want leadership? And his point was something, he's like, well, I'll quote Plato and say that, if someone really, really desperately wants power, you shouldn't give it to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you uh, do you want to get to our mixed news? What did you, what did you call it before? You had a word oh, for the, it. The offbeat bundle. Offbeat bundle. Yes, that's good. You wanna you wanna uh, do that? Yeah, sure. I'll just I'll just dive right in. So, yeah, headline number one: Snow shoveling man punches snowplow driver. Durham police say. <laughs> It appears. And if you shoveled snow while the plows are out, you will fully appreciate this pain. You've just 
you've cleared the driveway, you've cleared the path to the street, and a snowplow will then drive along and shove a bunch of snow into that path. Yeah. Potentially to the point, like especially if it's fresh, where you are no longer able to get your car out of the driveway. Yeah. And it's infuriating. I've seen it parodied on commercials. I remember when we were kids helping my mom shovel the driveway. The plow would go by and you would just look and get so disheartened. But apparently this guy was shoveling driveways for other people for like 10 bucks a pop or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which, geez, for 10 bucks, totally. Totally, Wait. I would let someone else do it. Yeah. So this guy got into a standoff with a snowplow driver. He yeah. was clearing the end of the driveway and not moving. And the snowplow didn't move at first. And then they got into a bit of a standoff because... The shoveler is like, no way I'm letting you do this to me again. Mm-hmm. And the snowplow guy going, you need to get out of the way because this machine will certainly kill you if I drive past. <laughs> yes. And allegedly, the shoveler uh, physically assaulted the snowplow driver and then mm-hmm. ran off. And I feel like this is a funny story, as, as did CBC, because we've all been there just a little bit in the de- deepest, darkest parts of our hearts. Yeah. So this is odd in that it says that it, it or at least it, this article implies if it doesn't say it directly that the plow driver like knocked over the the guy the shoveler with his plow. Oh, did he? It says the driver I... of the plow edged forward and the suspect fell back. That sounds like Oh. Well, I I don't know if that's like cuz yeah, you can I... fall back in backing up or Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But huh. very It seems like the driver was being aggressive and like gutting the engine and like inching forwards yeah and so snow it it brings out the worst in us (laughs) they say that heat is bad for the temper but apparently cold can be as well uh well it's not so much the cold as the oh there was a there was a joke article written about a guy clearing his driveway with a (laughs) flamethrower and i can see that like it, it was absolutely a joke article but it was written hilariously like mm-hmm. said he didn't have time to deal with 50 billion tons of white bullshit or something <laughs> like that which is also just gets to the real heart of the matter yeah. yeah um next item on the offbeat bundle dwarf toss at leopard's lounge met with online outrage comma petition and there is a strip club called the leopard's lounge in which they have a dwarf toss and you know what? I really think that is all the discussion that needs to happen. I just want to <laughs> let you know that we're in Canada. This is happening. How about Jeez. that, guys? Um, like that's because they were saying, you know, were it any other minority, there would be just so much outrage. Like if it were a racial minority, like if you had yeah. a an Iranian toss or something like that, it would just it would not stand. And then at the same time, they're going. But the the but the guy we tossed walked home with a bunch of money from the from the dwarf toss. I don't see the problem. And yeah, that's this is that's in there. It's tough in that they actually yeah. I mean, the way I see this, trying to not think just kind of jump to politically correct, of course we shouldn't mistreat people who are different than us. It doesn't seem that different from saying, oh, you know, I'm I'm watching the CFL and the, the goal of this game is for, for like 
90% of the people on the field at any given time. The goal is to just run as hard as they can at another person and knock them over. And but don't worry, they're getting they're all getting paid for it. It doesn't seem that different than than this because like obviously this person is asking for it. Like he's it's not like oh it's it's against this person's will, but we're giving them money. It's like this yeah, person he is has consenting volunteered to do it. Which this person has volunteered it, for this job. Yeah, but it is weird, and I get the cr- the criticism of the event in general. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's a classic liberty of the individual issue. Yes. The, I, I really like the quote, and I encourage people to go read this uh, story. The, one of the people they interviewed is worried the prevalence of dwarf tossing events may encourage people to pick up and throw his children. I think that's true of any children. I don't think <laughs> – I feel like they all have that I think same, maybe he means when they're grown, possibly. Maybe, like, I guess. But by that logic, he would also be eligible for that. But it yeah, the whole – whole thing is very odd it obviously isn't if we're being too politically correct it's obviously not okay but on another level it's just weird yeah i think that's that's a safe summary there's also the fact that this is happening at a strip club and those are also a place where people get degraded or demeaned for money and that might also not be okay but it might also just be part of people's free will to be able to choose what they want to do yeah that's actually i hadn't thought about that but that's also poignant it's yeah it's it's all it's all offbeat and this is windsor so it's kind of i guess oh it's in windsor well par for windsor yeah that'll do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) where do we go from here uh i'm gonna say based on the time it's a toss-up between new west partnership and energy east pipeline why don't we briefly discuss this last point here first? Oh, because it's yes. kind of this offbeat, is, and then we'll we'll decide whether we want. Is east it or offbeat? Because this is national news, Rob. The Toronto Maple Leafs on February second will unveil the Leafs logo for their centennial year. Yes. Now, d- wait, does that mean does that mean it's been a hundred years since they won the cup? I'm unclear on what centennial means. So. <laughs> I'm going to call you an asshole. Okay. I'm going to ask you to just roll with it. Nick, I have uh, before we well, because I am very interested. I, I love graphic design and I love the, the idea of, you know, like going back on history and th- it's important to change it up once in a while. But I was reading, I think it was on Reddit, someone talking about how the in if the Leafs don't win the cup in the next 12 years, their name or the, the team is going to be off the Stanley Cup completely because the next ring like they're on the very last ring already. Oh man, that's <laughs> so like they. It's gonna be. It could be terrible. Uh, yeah, you got like ten or twelve years left before they're off it completely. But yeah, yeah new logo, new logo. Um, it's got the it's got the text kind of pattern from their '60s logos, and I I don't know whether they're going to combine that with the current eleven point maple leaf or the maple leaf that they had in 1967 mm-hmm. and incidentally that was changed to honor canada's new flag yeah yeah yeah. which is what a team does when they are canada's team absolutely and if you pause for just a moment you'll hear every habs fan everywhere screaming at us <laughs> i think i do hear that yeah it's coming from inside the house 
so yeah, they're they're unveiling that on Tuesday, and I can't wait because like it's it's their centennial year. Fun fact: um, I would argue the organization is actually as old as the Habs are because they had a Toronto team in the National Hockey Association, which predated the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. And the Maple Leafs were not transferred over. And I think the Canadians were the only ones that were there before and after. But yeah. basically, they started the league because they really didn't like the Toronto owner. <laughs> and so like, they basically picked up all their toys and went home. Right. Yeah. And just abandoned the Toronto owner. But <laughs> the Toronto, the new Toronto team, because they kept a Toronto team, I think they went by the Toronto arenas in the first few years or the Torontos. Yeah. Um, they actually kept all the players. Yeah. Because like, what else are you going to do? Said, oh, so this new owner or this owner, he doesn't have a team anymore. But there is a Toronto team. Do you like get different players? No, you just go with the players you had. Right. So I guess maybe sort of a ship of Theseus kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so yeah, um, new logo. I honestly, I think it'll probably just be like their current maple leaf with the old text on it, where Toronto is arced. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So there's a couple like the reason that when you put this in here, I was like, oh, that's interesting, and then I saw a story about it. Uh, there's a website called sportslogos.net where they cover all this in far too much detail but apparently there was a teaser video there was a teaser video where they show the art toronto and the word like maple leafs uh straight along like it was they yeah there's a there's a thing compare it showing the the thing and it's probably going to be similar to both but if you go to the maple leafs twitter account right now you can see that the the their image is just a plain it doesn't look exactly like the canadian flag maple leaf but it doesn't have any text on it it's just a blue maple leaf that i that doesn't look familiar as their current logo so it seems like with that that piece of information is the logo shape and Mm. the words in the teaser that's probably it's probably just gonna be those two put together yeah and it does it's it's a very sort of it harkens back to the old logo, but it's also different and a li- it's like it looks somewhat modern, even though it is kind of from an older time. But it's yeah. a reason to get to buy a new Leafs jersey for thousands or tens of thousands of people in Toronto and, and around southern Ontario. All of Canada, because Leafs Nation is everywhere. <laughs> I, exactly. I honestly think the unofficial motto of Leafs Nation should be, we are legion for we are many. Makes sense. Yeah. All right, so uh, this is East meets West. Do you want to talk about an e- Eastern pipeline, or do you want to talk about a Western partnership? I don't, oh man, I these know. are these are both East meeting West, just like clashing right up against each other. Okay, I'm going to say New West partnership. Sure, New West partnership is an, is uh, ideally it's between British Columbia and Saskatchewan, so Alberta included. Okay, and they're trying to get a new era of economic cooperation because it's it's not a trivial district like they rec- represent a bunch of money and a fair number of people yeah 
But one of the first things they did was they imposed a tariff on beer from the rest of the country. And when you say rest of the country, it's pretty much the Eastern breweries. Okay. And so they had a tariff of, what was it like? I think it jumped 216% or something like that. So it went from 48 cents a liter to a buck 26 a liter or something like that. Anyway, the new West partnership is the reason that when I go downstairs, I cannot get a mad Tom IPA from Muskoka brewery. Right. Cause they just straight up went, we cannot afford to send beer out there. Like nobody's going to buy it. It's not worth our investment in money or time to get stuff out there. And steam whistle was facing similar issues Steam Whistle being a Toronto brewery. Yeah. So Steam Whistle went to court over it. And the Ontario Court of Appeals has granted an injunction. They straight up said there is there is an article of confederation, like from the Constitution, that says you can't have unfair free flow of goods when they're uh, something like resources, manufactured products, or blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Whatever they named, they had three words there and it definitely covers beer. Okay. So you can't unreasonably restrict the free flow of beer between provinces. And that's exactly what they did. Right. And apparently because misinformation spreads like wildfire, apparently there was a criticism from uh, members of the new West partnership and even the lawyers for new West partnership saying that no, but Ontario puts puts up these tariffs as well and they don't right the lcbo and the beer store have listing fees and they will give ontario craft brews preferential uh shelf space and stuff mm-hmm. like that because it's absolutely their right to do so right but they don't impose that kind of tariff mm. they don't yeah they don't do that because yeah. you can't do that and even then, like they're saying, this also harkens back to 2011, I think it was, when a man from New Brunswick bought beer in Quebec and then tried to come back. <laughs> but he bought over $200 worth of it or something like that. Okay. And he got hit with a lawsuit. And that's either going through or gone through the court systems. Right. And I think both Stephen Harper and Justin Trudeau agreed that it was ridiculous that you would penalize people for buying something in one province and then bringing it back to your own. Yeah. The only thing I can think of would be that you just want the money grab for your own liquor control board. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's the whole thing of buying something in a province where there's either no HST or a lower tax rate and like just bringing it back just to not have to pay taxes on it. But I assume that's not, that wasn't the point in this case. No, or I don't know, that could be just the other money grab argument. Yeah, but yeah. like, honestly, like I've heard so many times from even things like teachers and stuff like that. They say it is easier for us to get certification to teach in the United States than it is to get certification to teach in a different province. Yeah. Which and is we crazy. have so much trouble with the flow of goods and people and certifications, certifications especially across the provinces. And it's easier to travel north-south than it is east-west with that kind of thing. And it's it's ridiculous. Hmm. Like, 
we need better free flow of goods between the provinces if we actually want to say that we are a federation. Right, because now, yeah, it's it's very separate. Other than the fact that we elect the same leader, it's not – it's separate. It, it really is. Yeah, like it, it shouldn't be easier to go between different countries than it is across yeah. the same country. Yeah, yeah. It's just silly. And I was recently reading an article saying that it's the uh, Conference Board of Canada, I think. They estimate the lost revenue every year in the billions. I think that's right. For like, you know, people that come to the country with qualifications from other countries and they're not being, I want to say exploited, but that's not the right word. We're not using... Yeah, we're not letting those people live up to their full potential. If they right. come from a different country and they're an electrical engineer, yeah, like obviously there's got to be some sort of recertification process. But yeah, we're missing or, out yeah. on we're missing out on those resources. At least and a it, validation process. Yeah, or interprovincial certification. Yeah. Yeah. Or I think the other one was even um, uh, people with experiential learning that don't have a like a piece of paper. To certify that they have that. Right. And those citizens are losing out on a bunch of money. But it also means that they're not spending money because they don't have it. They're not spending that money and generating tax revenue and, you know, buying goods and services from other Canadians and really driving the economy forward. Yeah. And I feel like we could have, you know, we we could probably get some money off of that. We could probably get some growth out of that. Sure. And... I want Muskoka IPA. I do. <laughs> it's like very I, good. I feel that the reasons I'm presenting are well reasoned and valid. Yeah. But also, I want to be able to get beer from other provinces here. Yeah. Well, and it, yeah. Sorry, their intent is to diversify the economy because Alberta really rides high and then dives with the price of oil. Yeah. And the province does need to diversify its economy, and we do need to have different industries. And I could see that if you had a protectionist tariff, um, you could potentially develop your beer industry. Yeah. But like last best popped up before the new West partnership came into play. Alley Cat Brewery, Wild Rose, Village, they all popped up before the new West partnership. Okay. And uh, this is, I think this is cherry picking arguments, but the <laughs> critics have said that uh, in the meantime, uh, representatives from Muskoka and Steam Whistle in Alberta have lost their jobs. Huh. And brewery, I mean, this would be a long-term thing, but breweries aren't exactly exploding in the province. In Alberta. Under the new, right. Under the new protectionist regime. Right. But obviously that would be a longer term thing. And I, yeah. yeah. There, but I find it frustrating. I find yeah. it very frustrating. There's a certain amount to be said for the fact that, there might be smaller breweries like Muskoka, which is not necessarily small, but it's definitely not like a it's not a macro thing, brewery. Is that they might not have supply to to provide beer to the country for anyone that wants to drink it because it is it's good beer. They they I assume that the government of Ontario has incentive to say you know this is from Ontario it's brewed here. We want people who are from Ontario that want to drink it to have the ability to get it. And if if they spread it out across Canada, it may be th- too thin and the people that want to have it here may not be able to get it. And Well, that means you grow as a brewery. Of, co- of course. But 
I can see from a certain perspective saying, you know, maybe we should just let them grow here. And then maybe once they get to a kind of like a moose head level, maybe they can go national. Maybe, but like you're missing out on all the revenue from like, I mean, even if we're going extremely macro scale. Yeah. Say that company starts doing extremely well, generating a bunch of revenue for the government of Canada and or the province that's contributing to equalization payments. Yep. Yeah. And like you're just you're preventing growth. Yeah. And it's not necessarily to say that growth of Muskoka will be at the cost of an Alberta brewery or a Saskatchewan. It's brewery true. Or a no, BC true. brewery. Yep. And oh, is my summation. <laughs> yeah. There's also the fact that when you get big, multinational, non-Canadian companies will buy you out. (laughs) Yeah, so there's that too. Yeah. But um, going from trying to get beer into the West, let's go to getting oil out of the West. Sure. The Energy East Pipeline. Have have you heard about this? Are you up on this? Not really, no. Um, The Energy East Pipeline would carry Alberta oil to Tidewater in New Brunswick. Ice-free Tidewater. Okay. Mind you. So, like, that, this is a big deal. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and potentially, you could get some of that oil to refineries in Ontario because they have them. They might also have them in Quebec. I'm not entirely sure. I just know that Sarnia exists and smells like sulfur. Yeah. Um. So, have you seen Rick's rant on this? I am a disappointing Canadian in that I do not follow Rick Mercer really at all in the last 10 years. You should at least watch his rant on the matter because he makes a very good point. Okay. Like, Albert is hurting a little bit because of the oil. I don't think that's a, sh- that's a shock. Nope. Um, and so if we could sell more, if we could get it to Tidewater, that's basically getting shut down on the west side of the country. Like, I think... I forget who it is, but they banned tankers from coming into the port where Trans Mountain would be built. Okay. And Trans Mountain is just full of problems, apparently. But, so what What they're trying to do is build the Energy East Pipeline. Get yeah. it to the eastern side of the country. And it's facing a lot of opposition. Like... The mayor of Montreal recently came out and said that they would oppose it because they don't think it poses enough or offers enough benefit to Montrealers. Okay. And the first thing I'm going to point out is if there's money to be made, they are going to get the oil to market. This should not be a surprise. This is why we've had so many train cars explode in the country and spill their oil. And shocker. Packing the oil into tankers and then putting that on a train and putting that on rails, that's more likely to cause problems than having a tube go from one end of the country to the other. Huh. A tube, which is in Canada anyway, our pipelines are very well inspected, I guess. We've had some oil spills, yeah, but they're not nearly on the scale of being the unregulated disasters that can happen in the United States. Right. We have... Every everything I've heard on the matter is that we have a pretty good record in Canada okay. on pipelines. And this is hearing this in a corrosion setting in eastern Canada rather than hearing that from western Canada. 
Right. And so Rick Mercer's point was, um, this does not concern the mayor of Montreal. This is bigger than Montreal. This is a Canada wide issue and equalization payments are a thing. And Alberta is one of the jurisdictions that routinely pays, pays into equalization. And by Alberta, I mean the citizens of Alberta, not the province itself, because transfers go from people to provinces, I think. Okay. Anyway. Um, so Ontario has been a have province for as long as the pro- program has existed, with the exception of one fiscal quarter once when oil-rich Newfoundland took their place. Okay. But so it transfers... I think it goes through income tax. So if you live in the provinces with excess income, the money is taken from the citizens and transferred to other jurisdictions. So you can maintain standard of living across the entire country. Mm -hmm. So Quebec routinely runs a deficit and they are one of the recipients of equalization. And that's okay. Like, I think that's one of the great things about Canada in that we look across the country and say that, Every citizen deserves to have a certain standard of living and certain access to social services. And absolutely, the wealthiest provinces should subsidize, should subsidize those who are not as wealthy. Right. Because their wealth came from happenstance of natural resource distribution. Or, you know, whatever. But yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea that we're in this together. Well, the world would be a better place if we were all in this together, but. But for now, all we can control is Canada. Yes. And we should try and make sure that we're all in this together. And it it doesn't help when you have regions pitted against regions in this way. No, it doesn't. The whole, yeah. I, having the discussion about a pipeline that's moving any kind of, you know, non-renewable fuel seems like the wrong discussion to be having to me. Yeah. Also, I, yeah. You you raise a very valid point. Like we should be trying to get off of fossil fuels. Yeah. But the fact is that in the short term, we are addicted to oil. The world runs on it. And if there's money to be had, maybe we could take some of that money and put it towards green infrastructure and green research like the government currently wants to do. Yep. And yeah, I think that's that's my thoughts on the matter. Mm-hmm. It's uh Pipelines. They're a good it, thing. So we have been reliant on fossil fuels. And I'm I'm really referring specifically to liquid fossil fuels, not yeah. like coal. We for, were totally addicted there too for yeah, the longest yeah. time. We we've mostly, with certain obvious exceptions, uh especially less developed countries, uh we're we're a lot less in the West reliant on coal than we used to be. Mm-hmm. And it it wasn't that long ago that we switched to oil. It was like for cars, basically, for that kind of transport. And that was 100 years ago, maybe a tiny bit more. Like it wasn't that long ago. We can can get off it. Humans have been around for a long time. And if we just made a dedicated switch, like if you envision the world with no oil in it, like say all oil, all non-renewable uh, fossil fuels disappeared and were replaced with granite. What would we do to get around? We would find another way. Why don't we just do that now? We already know all of the ridiculous effects this is having. 
and we can change this now like we can change this today and we're just not it yeah that we can talk about pipelines and all this but it if we do have like set up any kind of you know there's there's uh not just this this pipeline in canada but there's also the uh whatever the big one i again i'm all on alternative energy that's like that's my main focus so the what's the one keystone xl is that where you're yep yeah uh yeah it all seems like the wrong discussion to have if we could build a pipeline and use it to shuttle around like algae and biodiesel ingredients that would seem just as good an idea and then we can have this discussion about whether we should be building giant pipelines what i what i think we should do is take the subsidies given to the oil industry and perhaps prop up green research. The the idea, and obviously this is not, like I'm not flabbergasted by that, but the fact that oil companies, gas companies are still getting subsidies, that's like, why? Why are we doing this? We're, we're giving people, we're giving people subsidies to buy electric vehicles, but also we're giving the oil industry reason to continue to yeah. do the oil thing admittedly i should look into that as well because Mm -hmm. i'm just quoting what i've heard so often which is not necessarily correct or like is in the process of changing possibly but yeah Yeah. the the fact that we just recently decided as as most countries in the world to go hey climate change might be really serious really quickly we should probably do something about this probably means that it's still happening because government moves slowly and subsidies are there's a lot of powerful lobbies fighting against stop the cessation of subsidies. Yeah. Yeah. But, and it shouldn't be shocking because, you know, industries will fight for their own existence and for whatever benefit they can get. Yeah. As will everyone, everyone will fight for their own existence. Yeah. Yeah. Another interesting thing that I found, um, which I wasn't aware of, um, a brief little, explanation of what happened in canada during the financial crisis because we weren't hit as badly as some other countries yep um apparently a lot of what happened there was because oil was so high there was still a lot of work going on in alberta but a lot of their manufactured products that they needed to extract the oil were coming from the east and so oil was just propping up the entire country and consumer demand because apparently it was consumer demand that kept us out of the problem because we just kept buying things right and yeah we're we're currently in another little bit of a crisis and uh maybe maybe some extra oil production could uh could help up the country perhaps (laughs) yeah it, it and it's bad when we are as a country so reliant on that resource that oh, we yeah. kind of have to 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 f- quote unquote fix the economy because our dollar, although it's recovering a little bit now, is still pretty terrible. Like we have to go. All right, let's do something about this oil. Is it a bubble? Is it like what would you call it? It's just a downturn. I don't even recession. know. Like I did some more reading on the matter, and it's not nearly as simple as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Like I thought it was just OPEC said or OPEC or Saudi Arabia said, Hey, we're ramping up production and the price of oil just tanks. It's much more complicated than that. Apparently Hmm. like part of the problem is that, uh, India and China 
are experiencing financial difficulties. And a lot of the oil demand was coming from India and China. And because they were booming so hard, so heavily, it really drove up the price of oil. It drove up demand to the point where, you know, oil was starting to, you know, go above a hundred bucks a barrel. Right. And without that booming demand there, because that's a couple billion people right there. And even especially in China, like a central or a centrally planned economy where they just decide, hey, we're doing this or we're not doing that on the scale of mega projects. Yeah. Like when China decides it doesn't need as much oil, that's a lot less demand for oil. Yeah. yeah. And that goes a long way to explaining what has happened in prices. Because right. I guess even Saudi Arabia, it's 13% of global oil. And that's a lot of oil. Yeah, but 13% of the world's production ramping up a little bit doesn't more than half the price have, have, H-A-L-V-E. Right. Yeah. 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 Crazy. Economics. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. Have you... Do, we've talked about Crash Course, right? Are you, watch, yeah. are you watching Crash Course e- Economics? Crash Course? Uh, no, I'm not actually. Pretty good. I've watched some, but not all. Mm. They're, they've got covered the basics now, and they're, it's probably been almost a year. Like Time just goes too fast. But they're, it's pretty informative, and go, it's going into some detail now. It seems like... It seems like it's supposed to be targeted to kids, but I learn so much from all of it. Like I know very little about economics in that with a capital E and uh, it's very informative. Well, I mean, if you're explaining things to children, you usually start with the basics because they don't know anything about it. But if adults don't know anything about it, they also need to start at the basics. Right. No, but I I don't mean. Yeah. Like if you really didn't understand science. Bill Nye and the Magic School Bus are great places to start. Yeah. I mean, even the basics seem like they're explained or they're trying to explain it at a level that seems like it's above the average kid. But I don't spend a lot of time around kids and maybe they're much more intelligent than than I remember being at that age. You're also judging on the basis of what you know now. Yeah, you're right. You're like, I can't believe I thought of electrons as particles. <laughs> Whoa. Plum pudding? What was I thinking? Jeez. Oh, <laughs> the Bohr model, like in two dimensions? Really? Really? Oh, man. Nick. It's adorable. <laughs> Speaking of educational YouTube channels, did, did you ever take the advice that I, that I suggested and go on and watch PBS Space Time? No, I didn't. Oh, my. Like, I have I honestly not working has been the greatest because I get to just keep going <laughs> learning stuff and watching. But... I like, did you know this, this, this might actually tease enough that you'll go and start watching this channel. Gravity isn't like, or at least with current most advanced scientific theories, gravity probably isn't real. And it's just a side effect of four dimensional space time. Oh, I think I heard about that. It's like, (sighs) it has something to do with statistical mechanics. Yeah. Or something like that in that. Just things will clump together because I forget. I don't even. Yeah. It's like it's just a consequence of stats or statistics. Yeah, I'm repeating myself over and over. But I read that a while ago and yeah. it's like, you know, gravity's not 
an actual force. It's just kind of a consequence of how things work. Right. And your mind just starts oozing out your ears because <laughs> you just – I remember that happening a few times when you're learning about physics and math yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Or I think it was – the first time I heard that expression was when our our uh, calculus teacher was talking about, I think, fifth and sixth dimensional spaces. Yeah. And he like, stopped us and said – and just – don't try and visualize this because you'll just sit there and you'll break your brain. It'll start leaking out your ears, like stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. But also I remember, do you remember learning about like capacitor discharge and how there's an imaginary current? Yes, I think so. But the imaginary current that can't possibly exist actually generates an, a, the magnetic field that a current would, yeah. if a current would yeah. were there, but it's not. <laughs> But it's still like an effect that's happening. So that magnetic field has to be there. And you just like, uh, yeah, what is like the world even? Yeah. How does anything ever? Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. The, the, so one of the interesting things that they discuss, because there's a whole, like there's a whole series of videos. They start off, PBS Space Time starts off with, they talk about like, oh, you know, this, what planet would be closest to super mario world and they like look at the physics of that and it's like interesting and <laughs> trying to be viral and then at a certain point they tried out like oh they had a title a video titled like is gravity an illusion and they talked a little bit about the physics of it and how it mathematically us like you know being stuck on earth is just as much us like falling towards earth constantly and having a force on us as it is the earth accelerating up towards us like it, that those solutions are both equally valid and gravity yeah. doesn't actually mean anything Frames of reference. Yeah. And then they just kind of kept on that tangent. Now they're breaking things apart and talking about um, like, I'll try to, I'll try to do this because like a lot of this goes over my head. So I just keep watching it over and over again, trying to understand. But like if you picture a photon clock, so this is a clock that has two, mir two perfect mirrors and there's a photon bouncing between them at the okay. speed of light. And so it, when it goes up and down, that's a second. That's mm -hmm. how far apart they are. And then you start that uh, photon clock moving. So obviously it's going to take longer. And that's the basis for special relativity. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. start this photon clock moving. And so obviously this photon is going to have to, as it's moving, the photon is going to have to travel farther between mirror ticks. Yeah. Which means that time is going to slow down necessarily because it it's not good the photon's not going to go any faster and it but it has longer to go and then when you hit light speed the photon is never going to reach like it's it can't move anymore because it's all its speed is trapped in the the second dimension it can't go up or down anymore because it's all traveling in the other dimension and so that's why time just freezes for any particle that's moving at the speed of light yeah. and it's just like the whole video series just blows my mind but i love it so much that it, sounds that sounds like solid video making. It's really worth watching for you if you have like they're not that long they're like ten or twelve minute videos, but like it's so like start from the beginning and just go through because it's so interesting. It sounds like. Mm -hmm. Anyways, it, it we were talking about the the pipeline and, and now we're not. I forget what happened. Such is the nature of this show. Yeah. 
Uh, did you have anything more you wanted to say? I f- we're, all, we're at two hours. We just crossed. I think that's it. That's, yeah, okay. That's what I had on, on the docket. Yeah. I mean, we did I, go almost two months without a show. And spent so. two hours talking just now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it was, it was very good talking to you, Nick. It was good talking to you too, Rob. All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you then, Rob.